you still have to get it done at the time that it really counts, which we have not managed to do. It's the first time that you could genuinely say that there is a chance that we could be World Cup champions. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. Uh, we're joined by Philippe Clare. You'll often hear him with The Guardian and Josimar with uh, plenty more as well. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Philippe. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so, Philippe, over the last week, we kind of whipped ourselves into a bit of a frenzy. We were almost <laughs> convincing ourselves that we were we were going to have a, a big chance on Monday night. We had those two goals against Lafayette. We could kind of write those off a little bit. And there was definitely, definitely going to be this World Cup hangover for France. Uh, that hangover lasted about all of eight minutes there on Friday night. Yep, thereabouts, there thereabouts. And uh, uh, I have to say, I was one of those who thought that France was uh, entering a period of transition that could be a little bit bumpy. Um, and it was symbolized, in fact, by the fact that before the game against the Netherlands at the Stade de France, uh, four uh, very distinguished French internationals took to the pitch to be given a, a standing ovation uh, upon their retirement. You know, players like Raphael Varane, Blaise Matuidi, Stéphane and of course, Hugo Loris, the captain. They thought that era is coming to an end. Um, then there's been all this bitterness around Karim Benzema not going to Qatar, refusing actually to be at the Stade de France uh, on this occasion. And he thought, hmm, might be a bit complicated, but uh, it worked out all right. It worked out better than all right, in fact. And France were absolutely superb, at least in the first 45 minutes. And then afterwards, um, just managed the game against an opponent who who on paper was perhaps their most, um, without any, um, uh, I, I don't want to be uh, harsh towards Greece and the Republic of Ireland, of course, but was supposed to be their toughest opponent, but a 4-0 mm. victory. And in the manner with which it was um, uh, it, it was won as well was um, quite impressive uh, with a number of the young players um, immediately slotting in. Uh, of course, it's a, fub- a French football team, which is without two of the main architects of the 2018 uh, World Cup triumph, um, i.e. Paul Pogba and Godokante. Um, and But they didn't show any sign that they would be um, any less good than they've been for quite a while. And with, again, some young performers giving I mean, tremendous, uh, tremendous performances on the night. Kylian Mbappe being given the armband for the first time and doing very, very well indeed. He's scoring a double, uh, including one absolutely astonishing solo goal. Antoine Griezmann picking up for what we saw at the World Cup, but you could carry on like this. And and Mike Mignon stopping a penalty to save the clean sheet in, in the very last seconds of the game. So an absolutely perfect evening uh, for Didier Deschamps and his players. And the other thing, the only thing I would say that might give you a little bit of, uh, uh, if not reassurance or, or hope, but a little glimpse of daylight is that uh, it's almost too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping that there too. Uh, we will come to the captaincy issue. Like I say, it didn't mm. turn out to be much of an issue in the end. But uh, when you look back on that performance, how much of it was French brilliance? And I don't know what the French is for Dutch courage, but Ronald Koeman certainly needed a bit more of it on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the, the, the Dutch were very, very um, unimpressive, to say the least. Um, and as I, when I listened to my Dutch colleagues talking, I mean, it seems like in fact, the manager's day, I mean, the, the manager's fate is, is something that is discussed there. There were there were a great, great disappointment, certainly nowhere near what we would expect um, a Dutch team um, uh, to do in, in a qualifier for, for the Euro. And um, it played a role, but I think they were honestly, they were so surprised by what happened to them. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, as a matter of fact, had insisted upon, in the, in the dressing room, uh, attacking 
the, the game at as high a tempo as possible, which is what they did. And uh, I think the Dutch were simply shell-shocked by, you know, finding themselves to kneel down in the eight minute. Um, and it, in which, in a manner that was totally unexpected, because France hadn't been renounced really for the way it started its games. If you remember the World Cup, very often uh, the start of those games were was a bit problematic. Um, the rhythm was not quite there. The tempo wasn't quite there. And it's later on in the game that France actually was waking up and and creating uh, problems for their opponents. Uh, opponents. This was different. This was foot on the ga- you know foot on the pedal from the very first second and two goals up two goals to the good after eight minutes uh, through Griezmann an absolutely amazing goal by the way um, which I've watched time and time again just to admire what Griezmann does on that goal and, and then by Upamecano uh, after a pinball you know um, kind of pinball in in the Dutch um, in the Dutch um, uh, six yard box but uh, Netherlands were very disappointing yes and you could say that they didn't quite show up for the game. Uh, some people would say that, but I would also say that what we saw, um, well, what we say that France certainly did show up and in no uncertain fashion for a game that was supposed to be one of the most difficult of, of this qualification campaign. Yeah, take us back then. I suppose the big story coming into the game from the French point of view was this appointment of Kylian Mbappe as captain. I guess he yep. certainly led from the front uh, in that game with those two goals. But uh, we've seen before where captaincy can be uh, like an added pressure to these kind of world-class players. It's kind of a, a nonsense they don't really need. Uh, he certainly didn't look like he was carrying any any sort of extra pressure on him. But is there any suggestion that he won't be able to do that? Because obviously he's basically running the PSG team now as well. Is, is there any chance that you know we're looking for positives here? Is there any chance that it might play on his mind on Monday night? Uh, no, <laughs> he's uh, he's very happy. Um, he he's taken to that role. First of all, the role of captain in the French national team is not quite as important as the role of captain, perhaps in other national teams. That's the first thing to say. Um, but it w- it won't be up to him. You know, he won't be like a Michel Platini was a captain in 1982 and 84, who was basically taking decisions almost for the coach. No, Deschamps is the boss. Uh, it is very much a ceremonial role. It is an honor to be given uh, the, the armband. Uh, he was taken over from somebody who'd been Hugo Loris, um, who'd been a splendid captain in many ways. But honestly, I don't think that Kylian Mbappe understands what the world pressure um, means or rather it's he's never let it go to to his head or or um, or enabled it to uh, be a, a burden for him he's never done that he's a player for the big occasion he's been given a responsibility which he's very happy to take on um and he's respected by his teammates I think his work rate with the French national team, by the way, is better than it is with Paris Saint-Germain, um, which is probably a question that quite a few people will ask in France, I think, in the uh, days and weeks to come. Um, and there was absolutely no sign that it, you know, it had any impact on his, uh, on his game. Apart from that, he looked absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and that uh, his first actually meaningful um, intervention in the game was not to score a goal, but to give... Uh, the decisive pass for um, Antoine Griezmann uh, opener, uh, which set the tone for for the whole, I mean, the whole half and certainly the whole game. So, yes, I mean, on that side, I'm afraid there is no hope to be um, sought. 
Um, I, I will find hope in something else. If I may. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll it, take every slight, <laughs> slight bit you have there. Um, it, it is in. Um, even though I'm not necessarily uh, convinced by the fact that history repeats itself, uh, it's happened before that France uh, has won four 0 against the Netherlands, and um, everybody thought this is fantastic. And the next game, it was in 2017. What happened? Uh, they played against Luxembourg and they drew nil nil. We know all about drawing with Luxembourg ourselves, unfortunately. I, being, yeah, being I thought them, you so. might. <laughs> so uh, I don't think <laughs> that gives us a, as much hope as you might think. Um, the, the thing about the captaincy story, I suppose, from our point of view, was that there were a couple of suggestions that maybe Antoine Griezmann wasn't too happy seeing Killian getting more of the headlines. And, you know, we were kind of rubbing our hands together going, finally, some French infighting. Now it feels like a real campaign. Um, but uh, that didn't that, seem to be the case. And as you mentioned, no, Griezmann pretty happy to score that goal. Uh, absolutely delighted to score that goal and, and uh, a goal that um, I have to say I insist on it because for me it's it simply it exemplifies what uh, Antoine Griezmann is about the way he wins the ball uh, then the movement of Colomboani which, which is really important um, the way that Mbappe uh, gets the, the ball on, on the left wing and the way he crosses it and it's, the ball is just behind Antoine Griezmann and he manages to um, to hit it um, first time uh, in the corner of the net. I mean, it's a goal of the highest standard. And when you see the celebrations afterwards, uh, you don't get the impression that we're talking about two players who uh, are at odds with each other. Uh, and I think thinking that would be a great misunderstanding of the personality of Juan Griezmann and, and Kylian Mbappe. Um, I personally think that Juan Griezmann has perhaps been the greatest French international player of the last decade. Uh, in terms of consistency of performance and what he's offered to the team. Um, he is the ultimate team player. He would not let that go to his head or he wouldn't feel uh, being somehow wrongly um, deprived of something that was his right. That's not the way he is. That's not his personality. I'm sure that he would love having the, the armband. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely sure of that. But I'm also sure one thing that he won't begrudge Kim Mbappe um, the world's greatest attacker at the moment, uh, the right to wear an armband that is richly deserved. And I don't think there's any problem on that side. The French are now into this kind of a post-Hugo Lloris era as well. He bowed yeah. out after the World Cup and we had a, our bit of our own bit of goalkeeping battle here with people split into the Bazunu versus Kelleher camps. But uh, Mike Mignon is the man who's taken the number one jersey so far. You mentioned he, he kept that clean sheet as well and I suppose that'll be a real boost for his confidence. But uh, is he seen as a long-term replacement in that number one jersey? Absolutely. And um, it's not that there aren't uh, other keepers who couldn't uh, perhaps challenge him for a spot in, in the French team, but he's been already there were, even when Hugo was uh, in goal for France, there were a number of people who thought that maybe Mike Mignon should be number one and that Loris was keeping his place because of his amazing experience, what he had contributed in the past. His talent, obviously, but that Mike Mignon was really knocking at the door very loudly. And um, so no surprise to see him as as a number one. Uh, if you see the um, uh, front page of L'Equipe after the game against the Netherlands, uh, you will see Magic Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think that tells you a little bit about what people think about him. Um, he had an excellent game. He's a super dependable uh, goalkeeper. Um, I don't think he's got any weak 
I mean, I don't know. I, I can't see any weakness in his game. And um, he's very popular as well uh, within the team. Um, and he's the number one for a number of years to come. Uh, there, there are people who, you know, there, there are other keepers who will challenge him. But to be honest, I think we've got, yeah, we've got in place somebody who is going to keep that France goal, provided it doesn't get injured, of course, touching wood, uh, for a very long time indeed. Um, you know, when Kylian Mbappe was first bursting onto the scene, he was obviously a major name in world football, particularly as a teenager. We have our own teenager who's starting to make a few headlines as well, Evan Ferguson. Is yep. is he somebody that the French are kind of, I don't know, worried about? Is probably a bit too strong, but somebody that they're keeping an eye on too? Um, I think that uh, the French are curious about it. Because to be honest, I'm, uh, he's not very well known in France. And in fact, um, I... I I would let you in the confidence is that I've I, I've been speaking quite a lot about about Ferguson to my French radio friends, mm-hmm. and uh, I will actually be on French radio later on tonight to talk about him, which means that people have noticed that there is suddenly oh this young man, who looks tremendous tremendously assured in front of goal, has quite clearly um, got uh, room for incredible improvement, starting from a very very high standard, and yes. Uh, people are aware of of who he is. People are aware of um, what he represents in terms of of a promise for for Ireland. Um, people are aware of um, of him perhaps more than they are aware of Ireland as a team in general, it, it, because obviously of what they've seen um, him do with this club. Whereas the Irish team, I, I'll be absolutely honest with you, has been off the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, of the French football public for for a while now, um, which might be an advantage, by the way. And uh, but he's not; he's not off the radar. People have taken notice of what he's been doing recently, and they've seen how young he was. And also, I think you know uh, when you see the way he, um, I mean, what a finisher he is already, and and the calm and the composure he shows in front of goal is absolutely magnificent. Obviously, I don't need to tell you that. You more aware probably than I am of it, but. It hasn't escaped anybody else, uh, anybody's uh, or everybody's attention uh, in France. Uh, to say that um, France fears Ireland, on the other hand, would be perhaps an exaggeration. I'm interested um, to, to kind of dig into that a little bit more. When you say, you know, Ireland hasn't been on the radar, that's completely yeah. understandable, I suppose. We we went a whole year there only scoring one goal. But um, yeah. is there still this kind of perception, and it's something that the Irish public kind of rankle with, that we're still kind of this long ball team, that we still kind of uh, thrust ourselves forward and, you know, we'll, we'll fight and win and, and it, we're just a battling kind of team. Uh, Stephen Kenny has come in now. We've, we've seen the likes of Evan Ferguson, Chikdozi Ogbeni, Michael Obafemi come into the team a little bit more. Is there still this kind of the Irish will just kick it long and, and try to uh, try to batter us up kind of attitude coming into the game on Monday? Um, I, I would say if you're talking about Didier Deschamps and, um, and the technical staff, uh, no, of course not. They've been, they will have followed what's happened to the Irish team and they will be aware of what's in store for them. When it comes, on the other hand, to the media and the French public at large, I'm afraid, yes, there is still that perception that Ireland is um, almost like we call kick and rush you know we still we use that expression in french if you can believe it kind of kick and rush kind of team uh not the uh the most sophisticated when on the ball but difficult to play on you know uh in in, in their own stadium uh 
posing a physical challenge more than a technical challenge. All these stereotypes, I'm afraid, are, are still very much what people are talking about. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish I could say something different, but it perhaps tells you more. I mean, it's not just about stereotyping or, or the teams or, or the cultures or the countries, but the fact that there has been a, a certain lack of attention as to what uh, the way that Ireland had been playing and trying to play in the more recent past. So I think we're stuck with the images we've got from, you know, 5, 10, 20, and even 30 years ago. So um, there you go. And, and and on one hand, and on the other hand, people having, of course, the discourse, oh, we have got to be uh, careful. There, there, there's no such thing as easy games. You know, this usual mm -hmm. thing that we hear all the time. But at the same time, when they say that, you can feel in their voice that they think, well, actually, yes, there are still easy games. We should win that one. And uh, again, that's a small reason for hope, except for the fact that I don't think that's the kind of attitude Deschamps, his staff, Mbappé and his teammates will have uh, when, they, uh, when they play Ireland tomorrow. Hopefully they will be able to see the new and improved Ireland up close and personal in that game and might give them a bit mm -hmm. more of a fright there as well. Um, speak to me a bit about Didier Deschamps a couple of you know months ago, even before the World Cup, even during the World Cup, I suppose, there was always the suggestion that you know the likes of Zinedine Zidane was waiting in the wings. Has getting to the World Cup final and you know even that game against the Netherlands last weekend, does that... Does that kind of quieten those critics for now, or is there still always going to be this contingent out there that won't be happy until Deschamps is out of the job? I, I, I think that um, that debate is over, and I think Didier Deschamps convinced an awful lot of people uh, during the World Cup that he was the right person for for that job. Uh, I include myself in that. I've had my um, problems with the kind of play, um, the kind of game that he was making France play, which I felt was not perhaps... Uh, as ambitious as it should be, um, it, it's changed, uh, actually, and it changed during the World Cup. I thought there was a genuine progression uh, to, if um, not a more expensive, a more dynamic and proactive kind of play. And um, his mission was to take France to the semi-finals. Um, he fulfilled that in some fashion. Um, I don't think there's anybody who doubts that he he should stay in place, and um, which is, you know, He's going to establish some new records here because he's been in place for since 2012. Mm -hmm. That's extraordinary for an international manager. And um, but it's a job that he's clearly made for. Um, even though the people who have supported him at the French FA uh, have moved on recently, because you, you'll be aware that there've been a few scandals surrounding the French Just a few, yeah. Federation. Yeah. Um, those people have moved on, but he's stayed in place. And because, to be absolutely honest, he's not—he was not uh, implicated at all in all the nonsense that, well, nonsense, worse than nonsense, that caused all this happy upheaval in the French Federation. Um, but I don't think that there is anyone at the moment who is asking for him to be replaced by somebody else. I.e., Zinedine Zidane, uh, he's earned the right to stay. And if what we saw, certainly in the first half against the Netherlands, is an indication as what to, we might expect in the future, to be honest, I would have absolutely um, no problem with him staying on for a very long time indeed. Tell us a bit more about those uh, scandals. We know, obviously, the women's team has been to the fore recently with uh, certain yeah. players falling out. Uh, has you know We're not seeing any kind of impact on the field, but is there some suggestions that maybe this will have an impact maybe on the teams coming down the line? Um, I, I'm not 
sure that this will have an impact. I think there's a kind, certainly at this level, uh, I think we're talking almost about two different worlds, which are coexisting, which are related. Uh, but I don't think that what happens at the French FA, uh, be it with um, the, um, the women's national team, uh, to be honest, I think what happened uh, might actually serve the French national team well in, in the future, including at the World Cup uh, in Australia and New Zealand this summer. Uh, and what's happened with the French um, uh, FA on the on the men's side, um, I don't think it's going to have much of um, much of an impact. I, and I'm tempted to uh, take as a, uh, a comparison, look at what's happened in rugby. That's rugby union. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be aware that Bernard Laporte, who was Mr. Rugby, Monsieur Rugby, in France for quite a while, has been in the spot of trouble. And... Um, I won't go into the detail. Um, I think people can make their own mind as that, but it's been a complicated time for the French Rugby Union Federation. It doesn't seem to have impacted Fabien Gertin and his players, really. And, uh, you know, in the World Cup year as well. Um, and I think it's a bit the same for the French national team, that what's happening, what's happened to the president, Noël Legret, uh, who has been... Um, basically set aside after his name came um, was, uh, you know, with some insistence in a report upon what was going wrong in French FA, be it on the uh, financial side and also much more worryingly what happened in terms of the treatment of of women uh, in particular, but also of young players. Uh, His name came back in this quite, quite often. And again, people can look at it and make up their own mind. But the French team on the other side, um, I mean, it has not been concerned by this and it is not really implicated in this scandal. It is a scandal. And they've managed to keep their distance from it. And Didier Deschamps certainly has managed to keep his distance from it, despite the fact that he was Noël Legret's choice. But uh, there's a kind of, um, I think the French national team has got this kind of, um, lives in a kind of microcosm of its own and um, does not suffer really from what is happening to the French Federation at large. Um, and thankfully, um, we shouldn't see any impact uh, of what's happened in the French FA, be it with the men's team or the women's team. And if we see an impact for the women's team, as I said, I think it will be a positive one. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the rugby there because that might be where we can get our sense of optimism. We've already had a, a win over the French in, in that code, so maybe uh, we can re- replicate that on, on Monday night as well. Uh, listen, there, there I say that perhaps your success over the French in rugby was not as unexpected as sure. the success over the French in football would be. That would be fair to to, to say, all right. Um, <laughs> listen, Philippe, is, when you look at this group, um, you know, especially when you take that win on Friday into account, is it kind of, yep. you know, first place or bust now for the French national team? Is there a sense that, you know, they, they kind of allowed themselves to let the Nations League go a little bit, but are they going to go full gung-ho now and try to win every single game in this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Nations League was just something that they were not interested in. And um, if there's one thing we can we can learn from that, exactly like um, uh, what we can learn from what happened to England, uh, two teams which completely sunk uh in and, and and stank the place up really in the nations league and has it had any impact on them absolutely not it was a very strange competition uh held at a very strange time uh, especially for the for the best teams uh whose players had been playing non-stop for heaven knows how long were all of them were shattered they didn't want to take part in that competition and they just basically yeah didn't take part in that competition 
Uh, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take any. Um, I mean, it, I wouldn't learn any lesson from that. As to the group, I, I have to say, I mean, France are now quite clearly the overwhelming favourites. But behind that, I think that it's up for grabs because, to be honest, the Netherlands normally would be everybody's choice for the second automatic spot. But seeing the way they played against the French, my goodness, um, that was not too impressive, was it? No, certainly not. And listen, uh, we wanted a bit of optimism from you, and I think that's probably the most optimistic note we can strike ahead of the game. Listen, Philippe, thank you very much for joining us on Off the Ball. My pleasure.